morning, but we're going to use Stephen as a case study. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 6. And I'll remind you, if you are here last week, we talked about uh, the first seven verses in Acts chapter 6, and seven men are appointed and uh, commissioned to do a certain task, and I call them, they're special servants, but I call them the first deacons. And out of these seven men, there's a guy named Stephen. And Acts 6 and 7 focuses on the story of Stephen, and He rises up pretty quickly. He becomes a preacher. And in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, Stephen is performing signs and wonders. And up until this point, only the apostles have been doing that. Now Stephen's doing it. But because he's preaching in the name of Jesus, he receives some pretty strong opposition. And so towards the end of Acts chapter 6, he's brought before the council. And they accuse him falsely of several different things. And if you were looking closely at what they accused Stephen of, it's very similar to what Jesus was accused of in Jesus' trial. So what Luke is showing us, the reader, is that there's a lot of parallels between Stephen and Jesus. And then at the very end of Acts chapter 6 and verse 15, after they give their false accusations, it says, "...and all who sat in the council looked intently at him," referring to Stephen, And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now that is a bit strange, right? What does that mean? Luke doesn't give us any more details. He just says that Stephen, they looked at him and they saw the face of an angel. I don't know exactly what it means. The closest thing that I think we could come to in our modern world is you hear people who work with kids that look at children and they say they're like little angels. That's like the closest thing I can think of to compare this. Maybe Stephen uh, was just glowing with Christ. He was radiant with Christ, and they're seeing that in him. They're seeing something special, something different. And then we quickly move into Acts chapter 7, and in verse 1, the high priest asked him, "Are, are these things so, like he's asking about these false accusations they brought against Stephen? So the high priest and the whole council are standing there, and Stephen replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And then in Acts chapter 7, Stephen goes on to give one of the longer, longest recorded, recorded sermons that we have in the Bible. It's a pretty lengthy sermon. And what Stephen does is he basically takes the Hebrew Scriptures, which is what we call the Old Testament, and he kind of spans over some of the highlights, some of the really important stories and characters that we have in the Old Testament. And he has a point in doing this. So I'll give you the highlights of Stephen's sermon. He starts by talking about Abraham. In verses 2 through 8, he says, our father Abraham, he was called by God to go to a different country. And then once he was called by God, God made a covenant with him and gave him the covenant of circumcision. And then he quickly moves in. He transitions into talking about Isaac, and then he mentions Jacob. And then from Jacob, he mentions Jacob's 12 sons. And then in verse 9 through 16, he talks about Jacob's sons, and specifically Joseph. And there's a lot of parallels between Joseph and Jesus in this. And then, and then he moves into uh, talking about Moses in the wilderness time in verse 17 through 44. So a bulk of Stephen's sermon here is about Moses and about the wilderness. And we actually, if you're paying close attention to Acts chapter 7, we learn a few things about Moses from Stephen. He tells us how, how old Moses was when he went to Midian, how old he was when he came back to Leeds. So we get an idea of the age of Moses. We learn a little bit about Moses' education. We learn this nowhere else in the Bible except from Stephen's speech. So he goes through that whole period, the wilderness period, and then he transitions out of that in verse 45 through 50. 
And he talks about Joshua, and then David, and then Solomon. He talks about the temple. He talks about the prophets. And then he wraps it all up by basically showing that he knows the deeper meaning behind all of these stories and all of these characters. And we'll look at the end of his sermon in just a little while. So there are the highlights of Stephen's sermon. If you didn't want to read all of chapter 7, well, there's a quick synopsis of what his sermon was about. So I knew we were going to be doing something special on this Sunday, the first Sunday in November, and as I was preparing for this sermon series two months ago, uh, one of the ways that I prepare for the sermons is I, I'll read, like if I know I'm preaching on Acts, I will read through Acts just several times, just soaking in the story, or sometimes I'll listen to it. And so as I listen to Acts chapter 6 and 7, you know, sometimes my imagination starts running wild, and I started thinking about Stephen and this long sermon that he gives, and he's, he's bold, he's passionate, he's preaching in front of the high priest and the council. And then I thought, where did Stephen learn all this from? From where did Stephen's foundation begin? Somebody, I imagine, had to give Stephen a biblical foundation. That's why at this point, we don't know how old he is when he's giving this speech, but at this point, as an adult, he's able to boldly proclaim and go from memory and know these stories by heart because he's internalized them. But somebody had to teach him at some point, right? So if you just use your imagination with me for just a minute. You know, I'm thinking about who Stephen's, about it. we don't know who Stephen's parents were, but maybe his parents helped lay this biblical foundation in Stephen. I mentioned in a sermon back in, uh, back in the summer that parents are the primary spiritual influencers of their children or whoever are, whoever's the caretakers are taking care and raising the child. You are the primary spiritual influencer in your child's life. So I kind of imagine Stephen growing up and hopefully, thankfully, maybe his parents were teaching him. Maybe they taught him about Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon and everyone else from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Maybe his parents taught him that, but then I also thought maybe his parents took him to synagogue. And we know historically that all these synagogues that were planted all over the world, the biblical world that we read about, they had rabbis and they had teachers. They had people that would teach the congregation and teach the children. So I kind of picture Stephen growing up, not only being taught by his parents, but having other adults invest in his life. You with me on that? So I'm, I'm thinking not just about what Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, because he says some important things. I'm thinking what went on before he got to this place? Who taught him? Who laid a biblical foundation in his life that led him to this moment? Which makes me also think about my own foundation. I know we all come from different backgrounds. So maybe you can think to yourself, whatever Bible knowledge that you do have, whatever you know about the Bible, what you know theologically about God, who helped lay that foundation in your life? So I'm thinking about uh, my own parents who we were one of those families that growing up, we were there every time the church doors were open. So we were at church all the time. So from the time I was born until the time I graduated high school, my parents had me in Bible class. So I was thinking about my own biblical foundation and, and people, other adults who have played a role in my life. And I thought back to third and fourth grade at the Johnson Street Church of Christ in Greenville, Texas, where I grew up. Our teacher was a lady named Marsha Moore, and she had 
been teaching third and fourth grade for years, so I had her two years in a row on Sunday mornings, and I'll be honest, I never looked forward to it. She was strict, and we had to sit down, and we had to learn. Now, I appreciate it now that I'm older, but one of the things that I remember about Marsha Moore's class is she was really into the geography of the Bible. So she didn't, this was before PowerPoints and things like that, and she had these flip charts with maps on them. And the map would wheel around, and so she would teach us books like Joshua or Judges or First and Second Samuel, and we're reading about all these battles and things that went on. She's showing us on the map where these things took place. Or she would call us up there, and we'd have to point it out on the map. And then she'd flip to the next map. So I learned a lot about the geography of the Bible from Marsha Moore in her class in third and fourth grade. And then I got to fifth and sixth grade, and one of our teachers, um, I think he had a short attention span himself, and so he didn't like just doing the normal lesson, and so he invented a game, or I, I think he invented it, called trash get ball. And we would take the trash out of the trash can, and he would set, set the trash can in the middle of the room, split us up into teams, give us a really short lesson, and then he would give us questions about the lesson. So if, you, if your team got the question right, then you get one point, and then you get to shoot a piece of trash into the trash can, and if you make it, you get another point. And that's how I learned the Bible in fifth and sixth grade, is by playing trash get ball. When I was in seventh and eighth grade, I had uh, two of the same teachers on Sunday morning for two years. And they were great teachers, but before we ever had our Bible lesson and before we ever said a prayer or, any, or took prayer requests, the very first thing we did is on the chalkboard, uh, especially during football season, our teachers were fans of the Dallas Cowboys, so we would predict who was going to win and what the score would be. And then we would tally it up the next week and see who got the closest, and you get a point, and we had standings going. So that was seventh and eighth grade. I would learn about the Cowboys, then we'd pray, then we'd have our Bible lesson. And then and on the evenings, Wednesday evenings, uh, it was mainly just boys in the class, and we were, we were awful. We were not very well behaved. I think our teachers were patient with us, but if I was teaching a group of junior high boys that were like that, I probably would uh, step away and let somebody else take it for a quarter. But I don't remember anything I learned on Wednesday nights during that time period, but I do have a relationship still with my teachers. Like, that's grown into a friendship over the last several decades. And I could go on and on about my own foundation growing up, but I think about growing up, going to Bible classes, and the different people that volunteered to help pour into my life, to help teach me and others and lay that foundation for us. And the same thing with Stephen in Acts 6 and 7. I use my imagination, and I think somebody had to invest in students like Stephen and help teach them the Bible. Now, Stephen took his foundation, and he leaned on that, but it developed, and it grew, and he viewed the Bible Christologically through the lens of Jesus. And in my own story, my own life, yeah, I've, I take that foundation, but I, it's kind of developed and grown and changed over the years as I've become an adult. But I, I'm thankful for the foundation that was laid in my own life, and I'm still leaning on that today. And that makes me really appreciate those who have been teaching and serving and working with our kids for years now, especially here at this church. How many of you just in the audience right now grew up at this church? Okay, several. As I was looking over the audience, I was like, we got, I guess it's the opening weekend for deer season, so several people are, are out and that may be here raising their hands, and uh, we have some people that may be out of town, some have grown up here and moved away since then, but several of you grew up going to Bible classes at this church. And as I was preparing for this lesson, there were, I don't want to leave anybody out, but there were three names that kept popping up. Uh, Paula Hill, uh, 
Janice Bunt, who's sitting back there, and Betty Delot. Where are y'all sitting? There's Paula. Will you raise your hand? Janice back there, Betty back there. So what I was told, okay, and you can ask them to confirm it, was that they've been teaching our Bible classes year-round for 40 years. I wrote that down, and then the next week I was like, I need to double-check that because that sounds outrageous. And I went and I called two or three different times. I double-checked. Are you sure they've been teaching year-round, summer, fall, winter, spring for 40 years? And that was confirmed, and they're still teaching, and we're looking forward to another 40 years with them. So can we just recognize and appreciate 40 years of teaching? Thank you for your dedication to this church and to these kids and laying that biblical foundation in them. If, you, if you've ever been taught by Miss Paula or Miss Janice or Miss Betty, would you raise your hand? Yeah, we, I know several of you have, several of the kids have as well. Thank you for setting that example for us. And I've learned to really appreciate people that are willing to dedicate their time and energy to teach our kids, especially my own kids, and help lay that foundation in them. And we're kind of highlighting this morning our children's ministry, and we're wanting you to consider how you can be a part of it. And so Jared Altman and Jill, they made a video, and we want to show this video to you right now, and it gives you a glimpse into the world of what goes on at Jump Street and our children's wing down there. So I want to invite you to watch this video. All right, shout out to Jared Altman and Jill for making that video. Um, you might have received this in your chair this morning, this little sheet of paper, uh, inviting you to prayerfully consider uh, what Jill said at the end of that video, to walk alongside our kids as they walk with Jesus. We're calling you, we're challenging you to prayerfully consider signing up to either teach or be a tour guide. And right back there, uh, after worship is over, you'll see Winston Forster standing back there by a bulletin board. And if you want to consider signing up, we would strongly encourage you to do that. Just like somebody laid a foundation in Stephen's life, which led to this great sermon that we hear in Acts chapter 7, we want to help lay a foundation in the lives of those kids that you saw in that video just now. I want to wrap this up by looking at the end of Acts chapter 7. Uh, after Stephen gives this sermon in verse 51, you know, obviously Stephen's not a kid anymore, so uh, Stephen's about to use big boy language with these people. Uh, he's using adult language here. In verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people, hello, uncircumcised in the heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You were the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. So he tells them about Abraham and about Moses. He reminds them of some of the rejection that, that they received and Joseph received, and then he kind of he brings that all together, and he talks about how They've always killed the prophets that God has sent. And then he talks about Jesus, the righteous one, and how they rejected and killed him. And so he takes what he learned, that biblical foundation growing up, uh, and he has a, a deeper meaning to it, an application to it that's a pretty strong one for those listening. And then he goes on in verse 54 and following and if you'll notice here as we read this, notice how Stephen's death imitates Jesus' death. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. 
But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he died. And we'll read verse 1 of chapter 8. And Saul approved of their killing him. So at this point in the story of Acts, we have the first martyr for the faith that we read about. Stephen becomes the first person that we read about that dies because of his faith and his bold preaching in the name of Jesus. And I have two observations about his death. One is that it's been said throughout church history that if Stephen had not prayed, Paul may not have preached. If you notice that name, Saul, you know, Luke makes him sound like he's the mob boss, like he's the ringleader. He's standing there giving approval of the stoning of Stephen. And Stephen, just like Jesus, as he's dying, one of the last things that he says is, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. And so people have pointed out throughout church history that what if Stephen wouldn't have asked for their forgiveness? How would the story be different? But because Stephen asked for their forgiveness, for this sin not to be held against them, Saul is forgiven, and then he, in Acts chapter 9, encounters Jesus, and he becomes Paul, and then he becomes the greatest missionary that we've ever read about, and he writes half of our New Testament. But what would have happened if Stephen would have not asked for Saul's forgiveness, as well as the others who were killing him? And then the other observation is that Luke traveled with Paul a lot. And there's a really good chance, you know, Luke is an investigator. There's a really good chance that Luke recorded and wrote down this story because Paul told him the story. So that's an eerie feeling to think about. The man who was standing there approving of Stephen's death might be the one who's relaying the story to Luke, who's the one who winds up writing it down. So those are interesting little tidbits about this story. But I will tell you, there's one main point through this whole sermon that I want to make. As we look at Stephen, as we think about our own lives as individuals and our own foundation and think about our future and how we can continue to invest in laying a biblical foundation in our children, the main thing that we're after is not just Bible knowledge, although we think that's important, not just knowing our Bibles, not just having good attendance in church, but our main focus is to lay a foundation that will lead people to a fully committed life to Christ. That's what we want for our children. We want them to know God's word and be so deeply rooted in God's word so that when they grow up, they will be fully committed to Christ, just like we see in Stephen. Somebody laid a foundation in him long before this ever happens. And then God used his word to grow up in Stephen to the point where he is fully committed to Christ even into death. And so our hope and our goal as a church is we want to make disciples, we want to mature them, we want to multiply them, and so we want to raise up a future generation that is fully committed to Christ. I want to ask you to join me in prayer right now. 
God, we come before you right now, and as we conclude this time that we have for this sermon, Lord, I pray two things. I pray boldly, but for one, Lord, that you will raise up within this congregation teachers, disciple makers, and workers for your kingdom, for the work that's going on at this church. And so we pray that you will place it on their hearts. And for those who you're calling to teach and help invest and those who maybe want to or need to recommit to this, I pray that you will raise them up and that if they feel in any way moved or compelled to sign up to recommit to teach, that they will actually act on that today. So I pray for that. And I pray also for our children as we spend a lot of time talking about raising them up and we feel the biblical command to do so, to teach them to our children. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless our kids as they are being raised, hearing these words and these stories, Lord. I pray for my own children, my two children. I pray for every child that comes through these church doors, that they will hear these words and that they will grow up to be fully committed to following you. And I pray that you would show us how we can help lay that foundation in them. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We ask you to consider signing up and, and investing in this. And this morning, if you, if you have anything that's troubling you, anything going on in your heart or your mind right now, we have elders at our church that few will be in the back or maybe around the sides here. One of the elders will be up front with me. If you need to respond this morning, you are certainly welcome to do that. I want to invite you to stand and let's continue to sing.